I'm so happy to be joined today by Michelle McBain of the JS Group. Welcome to the Women in Tech Podcast, a special series of Heads in the Cloud episodes hosted by Michelle Licardi, President and Chief Revenue Officer of Star to Star. Welcome to Heads in the Cloud and our special edition of Women in Technology. I'm so happy to be joined today by Michelle McBain of the JS Group. Um, Michelle has been just a great asset to the Star to Star Sangoma team and really looking forward to this conversation as Michelle and I have a lot of parallels uh, in our life and career with regards to children and jobs and really how do you manage it all so you know welcome michelle uh, i don't know if you want to introduce yourself any further sure yeah no i mean uh such a pleasure to be here with you michelle accardi um i am I am the VP of Global Channel and Digital Strategy at the JS Group, um, and it gave me such joy to have the opportunity to work with you and your team because I've been a longtime fan and admirer of you and your work, and um, personally and professionally. And as you mentioned, um, we do have a lot of parallels. We have children, we have stepchildren, we have a lot of passion for everything we do, and um, we do it to the max level a hundred. And I think we're both around five foot one. I think that's our other parallel. So. I, I like to lie and say I'm five foot one. I'm a really probably four eleven and a half, but that's <laughs> I might be as well. I might be as well. <laughs> but whatever it says on your driver's license is what I figured is fine. <laughs> exactly. Well thanks so much again for being here today. You know today I thought we'd have a conversation about something I, I think both of us strive for um you know but maybe uh, fall short on a case, at least for myself, I can say is uh, work life balance and, you know, how do you bring that to an organization and, you know, what, what benefits does it bring if you can, if you can have it. So, first of all, um, you gave a little background that you've got, you've got, you're married, you've got children and stepchildren. Um, how have you managed to deal with work life balance uh, in your own life? Yeah, that's a great question. And and um, I would say I'm often guilty of overcommitting to things uh, because I always say yes and I always want to give 100%. So I, I feel that, you know, I'll just rewind a little and kind of give a bit of my story because I think it helps set the stage for that. Um, my grandparents immigrated to this country and uh, I was the first in my family to go to college. I was the first in my family to work in technology. I was the first in my family to get an MBA while raising two toddlers on the precipice of a global pandemic and about to have heart surgery. So I I always do these things where I think, you know what? Oh, well, I'll be fine. <laughs> I can make it work. Um, but it is, it is one of those things where it is a challenge because I think that the, there's a lot of benefit to tech. One, um, I've had the ability in my career to work remotely, to be in an office or to telecommute, um, to have the ability to work from home and travel to events. And so there's many different varieties of that. What was interesting to me was prior to the pandemic, 44% of employers 
did not allow their employees to work from home. And so it took a global pandemic for people to have the ability to work from home. But what was more um, challenging was that in addition to not just working from home, which I think would have been an okay adjustment for a lot of people, but if you had young children like I do and you do, then we were also asked to help um, teach them during this time and be um, educators which wasn't my um, natural role. I didn't sign up to be a teacher, uh, work full time, do the household necessities, cook and clean. So early on in March, I did a survey because I was feeling overwhelmed. And I asked people, what is the um, what is the state of affairs for women in our industry? And by far and large, they felt stressed they felt overwhelmed. They were tired. They were doing the lion's share of the cooking and cleaning and responsibilities. And this was in March. So fast forward almost a year later, McKinsey reported that one in four women were leaving careers in tech. And I wasn't surprised at all because there wasn't a lot of balance during that time for, for many of us. And so I think it's not balance. I think it's the wrong word. And just to summarize, I think it's work-life integration. You need a boss, a leader of a company who understands that not just women, but men and women need flexibility, that you can get your job done and execute, and that you don't have to be um, butts in seat from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That, that doesn't necessarily equal productivity or effectiveness. It means that you're there. I remember working at a job that did that and, and there was people that would leave for two hour lunches and take a lot of smoke breaks. So they might've checked in and checked out in the clock for a certain time period, but they weren't being efficient and effective. So I think it's the idea of, flexibility, um, a, uh, an employer that cares. So many people went through so much, as you know, uh, and I know during this time professionally and personally, but the empathy and understanding of what people are going through and the flexibility to support them in their lives, um, not just by their title, but by who they are as a person. That's very important. Absolutely. And, and I love that you said work-life integration because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah just like you, I'll tell a little bit of my story, right? So um, I got married uh, for the second time, first had no children up until I was 40, got married when I was 40 to a guy who had three stepchildren that were, um, you know, uh, 12, 16 and, and uh, 18 at the time. Um, thought, you know, hey, this every other week thing works fine. I can do my job. I can do everything. Well, nine months later, my husband's ex-wife passes away uh, unexpectedly. And she had a child from another marriage uh, who didn't didn't work. Uh, the father was, wasn't involved. So we took on that child. So from, you know, zero to four kids in, you know, nine months, uh, fast forward, uh, one of my employees came to me about nine months later and said, oh, you do such a great job as a step parent. Uh, would you consider adopting uh, my stepdaughter who's 17, who just had twins and isn't able to raise them? Would you consider adopting them? Uh, so I came on and took on four month old twins. Uh, so my, you know, in five years, I went from zero to six kids uh, and Star to Star was growing like crazy. Um, and, you know, obviously I needed, well, and I, I needed some way to integrate all of this. And cause there was no balance when you have six children, 
there are, I promise you, uh, there is no balance. Uh, so it's how could the company work with me uh, and understand, you know, sometimes kids got to go get vaccinations uh, or, you know, we had to find obviously schooling, um, you know, everyone going over, over video or and having all that kind of craziness that happened during the pandemic. And so for me, it was really about how do I integrate all this into my life um, and don't put the pressure on myself that somehow I'm supposed to balance this all. Sometimes things fall. Um, and I think that's the thing, um, as long as not everything's falling all the time, right? You, where can you focus your efforts in your job when you need to be there? And can you focus your efforts with your family when they need you? And I think at different times, these things you know, need you at different levels. Um, I can tell you my 16 year old, uh, you know, she doesn't want me involved in her life at the same level <laughs> that I might wanna be involved in her life. Um, and that allows me to be more focused obviously um, here and growing Star to Star in Sangoma. So I guess my, my advice is, you know, don't think you can do it all, right? I mean, that, that to me is the thing that really hit me hard. Because again, you, you, you hear all this fantasy world of there's this work-life balance thing. Right. I don't know that that is real. <laughs> no, no I, I'm agreeing 100% with everything you said. And my mom was one of six kids and I was an only child. And then I have two daughters, two stepdaughters. And so there's very, a cat, a dog, just tons of things going on in our house at any given time. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing that I learned was grace. Grace for my team, grace for myself, grace for the idea of I had this amazing woman that I worked with and I had this bad habit of saying I'm sorry whenever something happened I'm sorry I'm late I'm sorry and she would just say stop give yourself grace for 30 seconds you know be be apologetic for three seconds and let it go there's no room for apologies here and she was um the community organizer for the Comtia advancing women in technology group and she said too often women apologize and somebody recently po posted a similar message in tech world's half saying everything they do i'm sorry my uh, my house looks like this or i'm sorry my hair is a little bit messy or i'm sorry and and they said my husband never does any of these things. Why is it that I feel the constant incessant need to apologize for just being who I am? And yeah, no, I, I, I agree. You know, the, I certainly fall guilty to that, to, to that challenge uh, and say, I apologize all the time where I don't think I should. At the same time, I wonder if that's because women oftentimes um, can be really great communicators mm. and, you know, we care about people's feelings. Um, so I wonder, um, you know, while, while I guess, you know, I, I'm, I agree that we shouldn't over apologize for things that are, but I also think, you know, the fact that we're willing to apologize for, for things that maybe aren't just, just makes us more likable. And, and I don't know, uh, you know, again, maybe likability isn't that important. And that's another, I think, thing about being a woman mm. with regards to, you know, I always tend to worry about being likable. And I don't know if men think about it in the same way. <laughs> I don't think they do, to be honest. I think, and also I think the perception of women versus men alters because, you know, you've seen a lot of studies. They replace somebody's name, John, with 
sue and the interpretation of their resume changes the interpretation of the behavior that is described changes so a, a man that is um assertive a woman is aggressive and it's very interesting to me that you mentioned that because there's often this misconception that you have to be a certain sort of way to get to the top and i always say i think that there's a lot of benefit to diversity in in you know different backgrounds, men and women, um, people that come from different um, countries, or they're introverts and extroverts, and having that diversity of thought in a room is really powerful. And I never want to be like a man, because I think I have a lot of great qualities as a woman and complementary to each other. That's a very strong um, recipe for success. And you have risen to the top of your role. So I would turn the question back to you and say, do you think that being um, liked or being successful counter you in any way? Or do you think that you just have been authentically who you are, which is what I perceive you to be? Yeah, I, I think I have been pretty authentic to who I am, but I have become more aware as I've moved up uh, the ladder, so to speak. I, I've realized that good relationships with people and making people feel good um, is something that First of all, leaves a legacy. Um, it, you know, it's for me. It's not enough to just grow my business. It's really important to me to grow my people uh, and have people feel like they were a part of something that really mattered uh, and is special. And that when they think of me ten years, twenty years from now, wherever they may be, um, that they think, "Wow, that person cared. They made an impact in my life and helped." me get to my next level. Uh, and you can't do that if you don't, if you don't want to have some likability factor. So I think, you know, while, you know, it's great to be authentically aggressive and go out and get what you need and want and make things happen, which I can say in the early part of my career was all about who I am and, and frankly is still a lot, but now I take a, I take a beat, I'll say, and try to understand if what I'm saying or doing is going to impact someone in a way that would make them go, mm, I don't really, I don't like her. <laughs> you know, uh, it's one thing to be stern and need to push someone forward, but it's an, another thing to, to be, feel like it's a character assassination for a person. And I think a lot of leaders, men and women struggle with that. Um, and I think women sometimes overcompensate to be likable. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be likable, if that makes sense. As long as you're not overcompensating to, um, you know, again, to, to build other people's egos versus your own. <laughs> no, and that part is actually very interesting. I did a, a fail forward live podcast, which you're going to be a, a guest on. And I asked that question to somebody, what was your biggest failure and why? And it was a gentleman and, and you'll hear it soon. Um, but he said something to the effect that he did a team survey and a cross-functional survey of his skills. And the majority of the people under him felt that he was a great leader, but the cross-functional team thought he was very self-serving and they thought he was um, not taking into consideration the viewpoints of the other teams. And so I think it's very easy to manage somebody that you that reports to you. It's easier, I should say. But I think it is much harder to gain influence with your customers or your partners or cross-functional teams, distributors, et cetera, if you don't have 
that likability factor. And the way that I say people buy from people they like, that old adage is still so true. And, it, and you know, that's sort of how we ended up working together, right? It, it was a relationship that was forged for years before, um, you know, and then sharing insight and value and then saying, hey, I think there's an opportunity that we can partner on some things that would help you know, mutually success, be mutually successful. And I think that that's a really unique idea that a lot of people burn bridges. And I think, you know, even um, the one thing I will say that I have personally been impacted by is the queen bee syndrome, where a woman gets to the top and thinks there's only enough room in the hive for one woman. And that is probably the biggest deficit to the idea of camaraderie in a, in a spirit that women are already outnumbered in the technology channel ecosystem and in the, in many spaces, in many verticals, in finance, in sports, in politics. So when you get to the top, the last thing you need to do is not be a mentor or be an advocate or be a sponsor or champion for somebody else who needs your, uh, your support and understanding of what am I doing right? Or what am I doing wrong? Or if I want to succeed, what is the real talk? Like, don't be soft and cushy because I'm a woman and you think I might cry, but what do I need to do to actually succeed and thrive and be successful? And I think not enough women do that. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I've sadly seen that in my career, but I am so lucky that I got to work with some really amazing women here at Star to Star, uh, also in my past when I was at CA Technologies, that we've created a, just an amazing network together that we've always helped one another. I mean, I can call out some of my mentors, Joanne Moretti, um, here at Star to Star, Sheila Jordan, who's our EVP of Ops, um, some of my salespeople, uh, Chessie Uber, uh, Diana Height. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of great women around me who, you know, I feel like they lift me up and I hope they feel like I lift them up. Um, but it, it absolutely is a, a really bad um, management style if you can't lift up other women around. I, I feel like so many people helped lift me up. I, I can't imagine not doing that. Uh, and, and I think, you know, again, when I think about my channel and who's probably listening to this podcast, they might be going like, how, why does this matter? Right? Why does any of this matter? You know, I, I, I probably don't have two women in my in my organization, uh, obviously, because we're still in IT, right? And, and um, oh, it, <laughs> it matters because, um, you need to get some diversity and, and you'll enable your business to grow if you can get diversity of thought, diversity of market, right? Because women come with networks just like men come with networks. Yes. Um, uh, and, you're, and also the men in your business are likely um, oftentimes married to women or how, you know, they, so they're dealing with still childcare issues. They're dealing with you know, marriage challenges, they're dealing with life issues and work balance applies to them too. So I hope people understand that this is not just a women's issue, right? This is a, this is a business growth issue for me. You know, my employees tell me oftentimes, like we obviously during the pandemic, you know, went all remote and we could do that. We're a cloud business. We were enabled to do that very easily, but 
having the flexibility mm. to be able to do that and be able to have childcare or help a spouse who was maybe out of work um, and they still were able to keep their jobs. That meant a lot. And the ability to have that work-life integration um, where start a star for them, um, you know, I want to say was sort of, I think, a safe place versus uh, a feeling of scariness because we made certain commitments to our, our employees. We're like, look, we're not going to lay anybody off during the pandemic. Um, we're going to work with people. And we really did. Now that now that we're starting to come back into the office, um, I think, you know, we're seeing that some of our employees are really liking the fact that they have options and choice. Uh, and, you know, we while we want the camaraderie and collaboration of people coming back together, we understand that, you know, in order to have white work-life integration, um, we also have to have flexibility. So I, I think these are things I hope people take away. Um, you know, the, you grow your business by having diversity and diversity of thought. When you provide flexibility to your employees, um, you get loyalty back in return. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and increased productivity and increased happiness and retention. I think that that's the, the number one thing. People who leave um, careers in tech. And I think the statistic was 75% of women compared to 20% of men would leave because they don't like working for a certain boss, man or woman who doesn't feel like supportive of their lifestyle. And that is such a staggering statistic because you pile that on with the idea that in the last 10 years, there wasn't only a stagnation of women entering careers in tech, but a decline and then add on to the quarter of women that were leaving during the pandemic, it is critical now more than ever. And to your point, it's not just a woman issue. And I, feel, I sort of feel there's this reverse stereotype that happens for men because they have this patriarchal role that you are the breadwinner and you have to go to work and the woman does the domestic duties. And that's not true in our household either. And I know it's not true in yours. We both work, we both cook, we both clean. I was raised by a single mom. So uh, the idea that we were, I was going to do everything alone, never crossed my mind because I had such a strong, independent mother and a strong, independent grandmother. And um, my husband was raised differently. Um, however, he, uh, and he knows that he is the, um, a partner, we're partners and we have to help each other. And when he needs help, I rise up. And when I need help, he rises up. And that's the secret for a successful relationship in your marriage, in your company. And if a father wanted to go to a daddy daughter tea party, well, guess what? That would thrill my husband and he would be just as excited to work till one in the morning to compensate for work if he needed to. And, and I would be too. And so that doesn't change based upon our gender. It just gives us ability to both be um, cohesive humans who are also um, husband and wife and parents. Oh, I so agree. I mean, uh, again, my, my husband uh, made the very hard decision to actually stay home with my kids. Um, and, you know, it was, it's always so interesting to me when I see people who say, but, but he doesn't work. Um, you know, no one would say that to me as a woman, if I said I'm staying home to take care of my kids. Six, um, six kids, by the way, that's what yeah. <laughs> Uh, you couldn't pay me enough to stay home with my kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I love them dearly, but uh, you know some people are better made for that than others, and not me. Um, 
But, but, you know, my point is, is that, you know, there can be a double standard there. And, and that's really sad that that's the case. Uh, and I'm so blessed that I have someone who understands what makes me tick. And, you know, again, that all of these things, I think, in order to have, I'll say, work-life integration, start with the choices that we make. It starts with the choice of partner we make. It starts with our choices of what do we want for our career and family? No one is going to set boundaries for you if you don't set them for yourself. Um, so that's the one thing I'll say about work-life integration. I mean, if you're, uh, and I'm so guilty of this, like I take phone calls at two o'clock in the morning if there's a problem. Um, you know, I, I don't tend to have those boundaries, but that doesn't mean that that's right. Um, and no, but I'll tell you, it's, you know, my CEO doesn't say thou shalt, Michelle. I just care that much that I'm like, I want to make sure that things go right. Um, Nor do but, you have that expectation for your team. No, not at all. I, I don't have that expectation. Right. But, you know, again, I'm not going to set that expectation. I'm not going to tell you not to take the phone call at eight o'clock at night if, or 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock. You have to make that decision um, and understand that your decisions and your priorities are yours, um, you know, and you, we all have a comp, a company priority for star to star in Sangoma, it's growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, you know, in very, in lots of ways, this company is like my baby. Um, and I want to see it grow up and be successful. So I spend a lot of time and I prioritize it a lot, but I can do that because I made a great choice in a husband who prioritizes my family. Mm-hmm. And will also tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you're doing too much now. I need you over here um, to help me because I'm not great at doing that integration and balance thing. That's not core to my to who I am. But I have people around me who help me with that. Um, but I think in my younger years, I would have loved I would have loved to known that I could have set those boundaries. Now this is just deeply ingrained in me. I'm I'm 45 and uh, at, at 45 um, it gets harder to break these habits sometimes. <laughs> well, my one question, you know, for you, and this has been a challenge for me as well. Um, so that's why I'm going to ask it in reverse to you is self-care. Um, I'm always reminded on the plane when the when the stewardess is doing her shtick and she says, well, if the um, oxygen comes down, put it on yourself before you help anyone else on the plane because... If you're not happy, healthy, and whole, how can you help someone else? And that is really hard. I think for women and for and maybe some men and for me so specifically, it can be a challenge. So, you know, the idea is you give to your children and you give to your spouse and you give to your career and you give to, you know, all of these parts of your, your life. How do you personally find time to give to yourself? Again, I, you know, I would love to say that I get it right all the time. I don't, I don't, but you know, I, I, I'm very clear in my communication with, um, with my spouse, with my boss. Hey, I need to take a day. I need to go do these things for myself. And again, it goes to that sort of boundary setting where it's, look, I got to go get a haircut today. I got to go, you know, (laughs) take the time. Um, Other people aren't going to do that for you. So I think it's really important that you realize that you have to take that time and, and you do it. And hopefully you surround yourself with people who 
will help remind you of it if you don't, but you can't depend on that. So for me, it's, it, it is making sure that I'm communicating what my needs are to the people around me. Uh, I know in the last year, you know, I had to say, you know, as I took on more responsibility, I had to say to my managers at Start a Star, hey, I need you to step up. I need you to take more off my plate so I can go be more strategic and I can take care of myself. I can't take care of myself if I'm only taking care of all of you. Right. Um, and you know what? People responded really well to that, um, you know, but I had to communicate it. No one was going to, no one was going to do it without me communicating what my needs were. I, I don't know if that's similar for you. No, that makes so much sense. And I'll say, so for just touching because we're rolling off of the 15 months of the pandemic and I, you know, I had heart surgery, so I was high risk and very scared. I had a lot of trepidation, I had a lot of anxiety, like a lot of people did. Um, and my husband who typically travels 150 days a year and plays hockey three days a week, whenever he's home. And I do all of these different things. Um, we were home as a family. We ate dinner together every single night for a year. Uh, and I love that. I really did. I, and like where most couples, you know, I have a couple neighbors that got divorced, unfortunately, but because I think you spend a lot of time with somebody is going to go one or two ways. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of babies or a lot of divorces in this area. Um, but we got very close. Uh, and we, we really rose up to help each other. I was very blessed. My mom, um, who's retired, was able to come down from North Carolina, originally a New Yorker, um, to stay with us um, and help homeschool because I just said, you know, I can't do everything. I cannot work full time and teach two children. I just don't have that in me. And so she came and she's been a huge help. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I didn't do a lot. Like I, I got in my hair color and cut since I'm 16. I went 15 months. I didn't even know what my natural color was. Here I am living my authentic self. Uh, you know, I didn't get my nails done. I didn't do things that were like, you know, massages or any self-care. And so um, I did get my first manicure <laughs> for uh, Mother's Day and my birthday. And it was just like such a beautiful hour of just time for me uh, with no one and just, you know, having, it's weird, you know, you have um, masks and plastic and they're Lysoling everything. But I was like, you know, this is fine because it is just a moment to myself. I also picked up hobbies that I used to be a gym person, an active gym person. I taught Zumba for nine years as a fun activity after work. And I ended up um, doing solo activities, which was very hard for me, Michelle. And I know I'm an extrovert. I feel like you are too. And so um, independent solo activities were really challenging. So I started doing runs, which I used to say, I don't run unless something's chasing me, but I would run and I would listen to things like audible or podcast or motivational talk tracks. And those were really helpful for me. I got a Peloton and for anyone who has a Peloton, they give you like the spiritual, like you have half an hour on this bike, take whatever you have going on in your head and heart right now and leave it somewhere else and just focus on you. And so I have these things that have been really advantageous, but that's what led me to create my podcast because I thought there's so many people that inspire me. And in my head, I always wonder about their journeys. Um, but I'm, I'm thrilled when I get to know somebody personally, like you said, relationships are essential for me. Uh, our relationship has been a huge catalyst in my life that has helped, um, helped me when I'm up or down. And, and I hope you feel the same. And I really do. Absolutely. That. 
<laughs> well, Michelle, I feel, I definitely feel that way. And, and I'm so glad that you got to have some of that self-care, even though it got put off during the pandemic. Um, I, I, it's just been a great pleasure to know you. It's been a great pleasure to have you on today's podcast. Um, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll still be working at this work-life integration thing. I, <laughs> Constant effort. But you know what? I think that um, there's no perfect goal. I think it's a it's a constant um, effort and ideation. And to your point, get a tribe. It takes a tribe to raise children. It takes a tribe to be the best version of yourself. And and remember uh, to give yourself grace and and uh, fail forward as you live. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's been great having Michelle McBain on our podcast today. And I hope you all can join us on your favorite listening platforms for podcasts. Thanks. Talk to you soon. <laughs>